My name is Chris Lane. Once again, welcome. You've been welcomed several times already, I know. Uh, I'm going to pitch straight into the Word of God. And uh, last week, <coughs> Mark Hilvagians, my colleague, sat on the front row, preached the last of the different series. And uh, I did say, though, that uh, if I wasn't satisfied with it, I would continue that theme this week. And so this is called The Difference. Thank you. No, I'm teasing him. He came, like a sucker, he came on the front, sat on the front row just two minutes ago. Um, actually, truthfully, I was very happy with that uh, series. I, I felt in my spirit that we got where we wanted to be. And, uh, and as I've been praying about this week, and I, and I want to talk about money, and I hope, hopefully you'll enjoy this, uh, but I, I just felt that the God gave me a little epilogue. So it's, it's an epilogue to the difference. It's not that the different series is anyway incomplete. And uh, please, if you didn't uh, listen to that series or miss some of it, please go back onto our podcast videocast and check it out. And uh, I feel that we've, we've actually mounted a crest and we're on a new, pl- a new plateau now. We've taken the church to a new place. And I, I really want us all to be pointing on the same direction and understanding what this call to holiness, this invitation to intimacy is all about. So anyway, this, this series, this talk rather, today's talk, I want to call Revolution or Revival. And, and the reason I chose that was simply because I've been hearing some curious things this week from our various campaigners for in or out of the EU. I've even heard somebody say that they think there'll be revolution if uh, we decide to leave the EU. I mean, I'm not going to tell you which way I'm sitting with this, but I do think that... Uh, Honestly, some of the rhetoric is, is, is getting tiresome in the extreme. Um, but it, it does remind me of a situation we, we found ourselves in, in, the, uh, you know, in t- 200 years or so ago when the French Revolution was really kicking off. And uh, in this country, it was thought that we might have revolution then. But in fact, something entirely different happened. Anybody going to win a brownie point and tell me what happened? Revival. You know, I think God has revival planned for us, not revolution. And uh, so I'm going to go into the scriptures and you'll see how this all kind of fits together. So if you've got a a Bible with you or a smart device, it will come up on the screen, but we do encourage people to bring their Bibles and and, uh, read along. Uh, Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 14. I'm going to read it in a slightly leisurely manner, stopping along the way to make a few points, and then I'm going to unpack it, and you'll see where we go. Hopefully, it'll all hang together. Lord, just help me now to speak clearly and succinctly. Lord God, you know it's always been our heart's desire to speak plainly about Christ and his kingdom. Lord, I hope that I will be engaging, sometimes even entertaining, but most of all, effective. I want to see fruit born from this sermon. In Jesus' name, thank you. So Luke chapter 3 then, beginning at the verse, first verse says this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of, of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, the first thing I want to say to you then is that 
Luke is very keen to get the facts right. He's writing to Tiberius, and, and his reason for writing this, yet another account of what we call the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is he says to Tiberius, I want you to understand this. I've looked at all the evidence. Some of it I've been involved with myself. I've talked to the apostles. I know them personally. And I want you to have the clear picture, and I want you to get this right, get this in your head. So he's researched this in actually in an unusually modern way. History was a little bit more... Was that people were a little bit freer with history in those days. But what he's attempting to do is to really convey the truth as he has, to the best of his ability, researched it. And so the reason for this rather cumbersome introduction to chapter 3 is he really wants to position what's about to happen, the, the coming of John. He really wants to position him in a historical moment. And the readers at the time will have said something along the lines of, oh, I remember that. Wow, that was a tough time. Wow, that was, the tensions were high. It's a little bit like, you know, people say today, uh, for, for those, those of us a bit older, you know, do you remember the day John F. Kennedy was shot? Or, and in years to come, we'll probably say, do you remember, you know, when we voted in or out of the, the, refer- you know, the, the EU? That, that will become a waypoint. So Luke is positioning what is about to happen. And what he's implying and what is understood is that they were two clicks away from revolution. What had really happened was was that the children of Israel, who had been slaves, and we know about this, had been through the desert, the wilderness, had come into the promised land, and now they were slaves again, effectively, in their own land this time. And there was a lot of hostility. And so just when people were looking for revolutionaries and what have you, they were looking for the Messiah because they thought they would be, you know, this Messiah would lead them into victory. In fact, God sends a man. And not just any man, he sends John, Jesus' cousin. It's a very specific moment. So on the brink of revolution, revival breaks out. And that's that's what we're talking about here. So let's just, I said it was a leisurely reading. Let's just read on here. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Just a little reminder there, when we did that series, The Land Between, we said this about the wilderness, that the wilderness, when you're in a dry and dusty place, when God seems to be far away and you're going through a tough time, the wilderness is the place where actually, historically, followers of Jesus do well. It's a place where faith can flourish because we have to exercise faith. Or flounder because we say, ah, oh, I'm giving up on this God. He doesn't want, he didn't give me a parking space this morning. My kids didn't get into the school of my choice and I've just lost my job. You know, this kind of stuff happens to us, but some people will just cling to Jesus in that moment and others will say, ah, flip, I'm, I tried God and I flew it, you know, what have you. So the wilderness, we have an unusual relationship with the wilderness. We don't willingly run into that place of dryness, but actually it is a place where great things can happen. Jesus went was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. He came out of the, whole, uh, of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a place where we can really encounter God. So if you're going through it at the moment, you have my empathy, you have my prayers. You know, hopefully there are people in your connect group that can come alongside you because it's not easy, but at the same time, it is a place where faith can go deep. And flourish. So the word of the Lord 
came to John in the wilderness. And he went all into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. They are on the brink of the most astonishing revival in history, a revival that still rumbles on now. You know, all over the world, revival is breaking out, except in the Western world. And boy, I want to go sort of like the kid at the back of the class when the teacher wants for a helper. I want to go, please, 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 please. Let it be us. Let it be me. Why should we miss out on all of this? Anybody want to say amen? amen. amen. My, 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 my darling wife is going down like that. The back. <laughs> she doesn't like that kind of thing. But the truth of the matter is this. It seems to matter to me, being a pastor and a Christian, in this nation at this time, that we get revival, that we don't get revolution. I mean, look at the nonsense that was going on in Marseille last night. I mean, oh, really? <sighs> you know, it, it, it's, well, one politician said embarrassing. You know, I could use other words, but, but hey, who, I don't know who attacked who, but this is just, just, just crazy, isn't it? The tensions that we know in our society at the moment. And if ever there was a, a time when a nation needed revival, it's now. Truly it is now, which is why it is so important that the church of Jesus Christ begins to shine forth as something different, hence the difference. It's important that our, our actions are borne out. Not just what we say, but what we do shows the difference. Anyway, it goes on here. Now, this is interesting because this story is, is uh, written up in Matthew's gospel as well. But Luke does something a little bit different here, what we're about to read. He, he, he talks about three groups, pretty broad in some sense and pretty specific in others, of, of people who came towards John for this baptism of repentance. Repentance, by the, word, is an, by the way, is, a, is an old-fashioned word. It means turning away from and turning towards something else. It's a, a U-turn, and we're called to repent. You know, we, we set our lives on a course which is often godless. It's often about me and all the rest of it, and we are called to turn away from that into a new life. We're, we're called to repent and not go back to our world way of life. We're called to repent and embrace the new life that God has given us. So, so John was going, as it were, as a herald, as, um, as the prologue, if this is an epilogue, as the prologue before Christ the Messiah himself, who was already alive, but hidden from uh, before he began his ministry. And so it says here, and these are the three kind of groups that, that uh, Luke chooses to put in. And it's, and it's not just, they're there for a reason. And that's what I want to draw out in just a minute. He uses them as prototypes, as, as a sort of, these, this, is what import, this is what is important, and this is why I wanted to preach this on the back of the different series. We'll see what, what I mean by that in, in just two ticks. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. 
Boy, if our welcome team said to people as they flocked to the front of the door, you brood of vipers, I think that would, go down, that would go down a breeze, wouldn't it, that really word, you know? You brood of vipers. I mean, he's a pretty crusty old guy, is John the Baptist, isn't he? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Well, of course, the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit did. And I don't know about you, last night, Felicia and I were at a, a barn dance. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and uh, I don't do barn dancing, but there was, like, everybody had to barn dance last night from 7.30 till 11 o'clock. And so if I slur my words and fall off this stage, you'll know why I'm exhausted. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, in the midst of all that noise and chaos, we were having conversations with people because there is something stirring in the hearts of people. You know, the Holy Spirit is unsettling people, and they, they have an itch they cannot scratch, and they are looking for God. They're looking, and so that's why the church must look godly, otherwise they'll dismiss us without, without a second thought. But we, we had some fun time last night, as well as all the dancing around. And the worst thing, if you ever get asked to do a basket, don't ever do it. Nearly broke my back. Does anybody know what a basket is in Banda? Oh, yeah, there you are. Like, the guys have to pick the women... And then they run around very quickly and their feet go out. And so it's sort of like, so you're staggering around, <laughs> you know, the largest woman in the place, you know. But uh, there we are. I said it. Forgive me. Forgive me. We can delete that, can we? So once, once <laughs> moving quickly on. Anyway, you brood of vipers. There, that'll sober you up. Sober you up. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, this is where we arrived at. Oh, this is where we arrived at with this series. But, you know, when one's talking about holiness, it does call for a change of life, and we do do things differently. And some of that has to be intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. But, but really, holiness is not like a bunch of to-dos, like be good and be nice and mind your P's and Q's and etc. like that. It's not that... It flows out of abiding in Christ. And Mark really took us there last week. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, You know, remain in me and I will remain in you. And as you do so, you will bear much fruit to the glory of my Father. It's essentially the quality of our love and relationship with God. And as I've often said, it's not rocket science, this. If you're in a, a long term relationship, you know, you, 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 grow to, uh, you grow in depth and love for your partner, and, and you want to please them. You, you know what blesses them and what disappoints them. And, and so you, you begin to, you know, change your life, change your ways in ways that bless your partner. And that's how long-term marriages are, are sustained and built, built and sustained. And so... Same thing with God, as we abide in him, as we make him our goal, as we try and walk through every day mindful of Christ and, you know, the little things that used to be on people's wrists, what would Jesus do? It's, it's like, it's just, a, that was helpful, if nothing else, as a reminder that Jesus is in everything and, uh, and, and that we can find his presence, not just in church on a Sunday, but wherever we are, and ask for his help. And it is challenging, it really is. But as we do that, what happens, almost by accident, is that we begin to bear the fruit of Christ. We grow in patience, forbearance, love, care, kindness. Sure, on a, 
everyone, myself included, you know, caught the wrong way on the wrong day, you know, I can snarl like the rest of them. And then I just go, oh, God, I'm so sorry, you know. But it's about abiding in Christ. And that's how, you know, it's about pressing into God, making him your goal in every situation. As you go into a meeting, God, I, I, just, I would just pray, you know, Lord, let me be true to you and true to myself. You know, if you're going into a business meeting, it's going to be high pressure to presentation. Yeah, you've got a job to do. And you've done the homework, one hopes, otherwise you're in trouble. But a good prayer to pray just before you go in, having done all the prep and you know what you've got to do, what goals you're looking to and what you're hoping to bring out of the meeting, just say this, Lord, let me be true to you. Let me not shame you or embarrass you. And let me be true to myself. May I not suck up to people just to get the result that I want. Lord, help me be true to you and true to myself. These are the kind of the things that people who are abiding in Christ begin to do. It becomes like second nature. So anyway, the people say to John, and we just read on here, John says, produce fruit in keeping with, with righteousness, with uh, repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, other cultures find it much easier to talk about hell, hellfire and damnation. We don't. It's not polite. But there is a downside to, you know, to, to cutting Christ out of your life. And the downside is this, that, that actually your destiny, and we all have an eternal destiny, will be very different from the one that we hope for. It will be one that is separate from God, and to live a life that is separate from God without his blessing and grace is, is hell. And Jesus was unapologetic about it. And uh, so and, and, and John, being John, and the kind of crusty guy he is, he's really forthright about it. He says, listen, listen, you brood of vipers, he says. Produce fruit in, in keeping with your repentance. Don't just say you repent. It's, you know, there's got to be some evidence. It's got to be manifest in that. And as you do that, so you will abide in Christ. You will bear fruit. But if you don't do that, I warn you. you know, it's late in the day. The axe is set to the root. Now, in those days, they'd probably just go straight for the root. Over here, when they're felling a tree, we had a couple of very large trees at the end of our house in, in um, Avenue Road a few years ago. And we had to have those attended to. And what they did, and you'll know this, they don't come down and just set to the root. They start at the top. They trim the bits off. You know, they monitor the traffic and manage the traffic. They, and there's a progression. They work down, they work down, but finally they get down to the root, and then that's it. Well, that's quite a helpful image for us, if, you, if you've understood what I've just said to you. Because, you know, there's been a lot of trimming, and there's been a lot of taking away, and boughs have been taken off. But, you know, John says to us in this 21st century, his voice rings out. He says... You know, we've done all of that, folks. Now we're at the, the axe is set to attack the root. You know, the day is late. If you ever decided one day I'm going to be a real Christian, I'm just going to sort of, you know, build this, do that, you know, make my name, you know, build my fortune, and then I'm going to be a Christian. You know, King Constantine did that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a risky play. Truly is a risky play. We need to get serious with this holiness and bearing fruits. Uh, in righteousness now. We really do. And so anyway, at the end of this tirade, the people say, I, I guess you'd say, not surprisingly, verse 10, what should we do then, the crowd asked. What should we do then? And it's reminiscent to me of, in, in, in Acts 2, is it, where, Acts 3, Acts 2 or 3, 
where Peter preaches after the day of Pentecost, and he preaches, and, and he's quite harsh. He says, you know, this is Jesus whom you crucified, and he is risen from the dead. And this spirit that you see that has been poured out upon us is, is a fulfillment of God's promises. You know, I have often said that it seems to me that God's promises seem to be like you know, jumbos stacked up over Heathrow on a busy day. You know, there seem to be so many promises that are still to come. But I am absolutely convinced that actually we're beginning to see these things playing out now and the time is short. So anyway, what should we do, they ask, And John answered... And this is the three things that he identifies. He, he, he kind of hangs them on the hook of various personalities. But there are three things that you've heard us talk, teach about before which are pretty critical. This is the kind of fruit that we must intentionally aspire to and work towards. The first thing is this. John answered, if anyone has two shirts, he should share with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. One of the hallmarks, one of the fruit of the Christian church is a passion for the poor. It's an empathy for the poor. That's what all this next door is about. Well, no, it's not all this because we've got kids' rooms and we've got youth rooms. But, you know, that's, that's what we're doing. And I, I literally this week got this, I think um, actually Carol passed this on to me. I was, if I'd had time, I would have thrown it up on the screen. But here's a little letter that little note that was written. It says, Dear staff, the spelling isn't great. Dear staff, thank you for all your support, and I would like to thank you uh, for the help, for helping me with food, and I hope you will be able to help everyone else who needs food too. I would like to thank you all, and I was in touch, uh, and I will keep in touch with you. God bless you all from John. Now, John's moved away. Bless his heart. Thank you. We do get lovely little notes like that. But it's a challenge doing this poor ministry. I mean, it really is. I mean, we, we have difficult times. We've got a fantastic team now. We've been doing it a while. I'm going to put that down there, so if anybody wants to look at that later, they, they can. But, I mean, sometimes the poor disappoint you. We had, just this week, we had a couple who... Clearly were married, but they, and their first time here, and we, we found this out while they were still here, but they, they, they separated at the top of the road, and they came down as uh, individuals. And the thinking being, if they said that they were individuals, then they thought they could get twice the amount of food. So, you know, it, 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 there's all these shenanigans going on, and it partly makes you smile, but partly disappoints you. And actually, to be, can I share you something very personal here? I think when, when people rob the church, they're robbing God. If they, and, and they're not just, if they go away with more food, if they manage to do some clever scheme whereby they get more food than they're supposed to, and I'm, I'm not asking the team to challenge them like this, about this, by the way, but if they do that, they're robbing the poor, and if you rob the poor, boy, you are putting yourself in a vulnerable place. So this is a challenging ministry, you know, uh, nine times out of ten, you know, probably 19 times out of 20, you know, we, we just have deserving courses. But there are those who, who sneak in, and, and, and it, it's difficult. Uh, and personally, I think if, if you cheat the church, you're robbing God. I mean, we have stuff nicked out of this place. And that's because this, is, this isn't a, a holy huddle. Some churches are like holy huddles. This is a church where we've, you know, the whole reason we've got these great glass doors is so people can sit in. 
it's part of our philosophy. We are welcoming people, and, it, and we know that part of the cost of that is that we will be taken for a bit of a ride sometimes. Jesus knows that. He died for the whole world. But there are many people who will not give him the time of day. That's the risk he took. So, you know, Jesus has done it. So I'm not going to lose sleep over that. Needless to say, we try and be careful. Talking of the poor, who needs a tenor? Who'd like a tenor? The pastor's getting his wallet out. Who actually needs a tenor? There you go. Would you mind just walking down there and giving that lady, put her hand up there, just put your hand up again and just giving her that tenor? I've got another one. Who wants a tenor? Where's that? Yeah. Great. Mark, would you just run up there and give that gentleman a tenor? Yeah. Okay. Who needs more than a tenor? You need more than a tenner? Do you? Why don't you come up here then? Come up here. Now, I don't know this lady. This is not a setup. We don't vet these people. This, this person could have arrived in a Bentley, Monsan, <laughs> and I'm about to be ripped off royally. But it doesn't matter, you see, because Jesus takes that risk. What's your name? No. 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 Okay. Guys, many of you know what we like to do now. Uh, is this your first time here, Noor? Okay, well, welcome to the vineyard. Um, Noor needs more than a tenor, and I've given all my tenors away. If you've got a tenor, would you mind us share, giving that to Noor here? Just come forward and just give it to that. Gosh, I am so proud of you guys when you do this. It's just... Um, whoops. Yeah. Have we got a basket? Thanks, Carol. There you go. Okay. Gosh, we need to get bigger baskets or something else. You see, this is, um, and I've said it before, I always know what, how much money I've got. And when I come to do this little thing in a sermon, I always think, oh my gosh, and I've already had that battle with myself. I can't afford this, and have I really got to do this again this Sunday, and this kind of thing. It looks like you've got more than a tenner there. This is sort of... Tip that in there, it might be bigger. Thank you very much. That's very sweet of you. Okay. Thank you, guys. You see, the thing is that we would we teach you guys to budget carefully, and we say, give God the tithe first of all, the 10%. And often when you start tithing, you start budgeting. And and maybe for the first time in your life, you actually know how much money you've got. And you, it makes you careful with money. And you begin to appreciate money, perhaps a degree that you haven't done before. 
But the downside of that is it can sow in us what I call a spirit of poverty. We get so kind of caught up with, oh, that's that for this and this and the other, that sometimes it's difficult to be generous. And so we love doing this from time to time, often blessing a stranger. And the stories we get back is amazing because it breaks something in us. You know, we're wired as followers of Jesus to be generous, but doesn't always, we don't always do very well with that. Let me pray a blessing on you all. Father God, I just thank you for bringing Noor here. I don't know whether she's a follower of Jesus yet or not, but I'm sure glad she's here. And I pray, Lord God, that she will take this money and that, Lord God, it will help her at this point in her life. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Give her a big clap. So John says to the, 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 the brood of vipers, the, the people, and don't get hung up about that. He says to them, he says, look, take care of the poor. Don't just look after yourself. Take care of the poor. And that's what we're trying to do here at Vineyard. We've got a bit of a reputation for it. I don't want reputations necessarily. I just want us to do it. Take care of the poor. We've still got some money to raise next door. If you've got some some means to, to bless us. We've got about 150000 to raise. We're hoping to be finished in uh, end of July. Uh, and also, in two weeks' time, I'm going to ask the builders whether we could go in there and have a little look, probably between the two services. I'm getting in there regularly, and I tell you, it looks phenomenal. It just looks amazing. And uh, every time I go in there, I never hear any swearing. There's no radios playing. They keep the place swept. Uh, swept. The presence of God is in that already, and, the, and it's a, it, it, the builders themselves are saying to me, two of them have said to me, I've never done anything like this. This is the best thing we've done yet. I want to take photos. It's going in my portfolio. I mean, something's changing in them. So in two weeks' time, and thank you to all of you who've given so generously, we've raised, without any you know, tea cake parties or anything like that, well over a million pounds in addition to our tithes and stuff. You guys are flipping awesome. Can I say that? Still got a little way to go. Now finish the race. Need this money pretty soon. So if you've got a little bit of savings or if you could do, I don't know, just please make that gift to us so we can finish that next door. Let me just pick up this, this thread, though. Look after the poor. John says to the tax collectors... He says, don't collect any more than you're required to. To the soldiers who asked him, and what should we do? He said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. There's the integrity thing. We're called to walk with integrity. Our yes should be yes, our no should be no. You know, Christian forebears had a reputation for honesty and integrity. I'm fond of telling you how the, the Quakers and Vineyard was rooted in the Quaker movement years and years and years ago, believe it or not. They had a reputation for being fair. They weren't the cheapest, but they were fair. If you bought a pound of flour, it was a pound of flour. It wasn't, a, it wasn't three quarters of a pound of flour, and the rest was chalk. They, they were honest, and, integ and there was integrity in their dealings. But the reason I just want to finish up talking about money very briefly, and as I am talking about money, is because clearly John says, take care of the poor and take care of your money. And the reason for that is, is that money... If you don't master money, it will master you. You may see yourself in control of it, 
but actually it enslaves you. It'll encourage you to earn one more dollar. It'll keep you away from your kids. It'll keep you away from your wives because you're just pressing in to earn that one, that, just that one more deal. Not too many people that I know of have gone to their deathbed saying, I'm glad I didn't spend too much time with my kids because I earned a lot of money. It just doesn't work like that. It really doesn't work like that. And when we think about giving, we think of John 3.16. Let's just throw that up on the screen. Thank you very much indeed. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This, curiously enough, this verse that is so often used as an evangelism is our model for giving. Because first of all, it is, giving is modeled by God. It's modeled by God. He gave his only son that you and I might have life. He did not hold back. He didn't do a Chris Lane where I look in my wallet this morning and I think, oh, heck, wait a minute. Oh, gosh, you know. Oh, what a drag. I've got to give 20 quid away, you know. And then the next service again, it'll be 40 quid, you know. And I don't want anybody to give me the 40 quid. Thank you. Very sweet of you. No, 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 back, back. No, don't give me. No, sit down. But truthfully, it goes from my mind. But God isn't like that. Thank God. He gave his one and only son because the death of Christ upon that cross for the sins of the world was the only way that you and I could be saved. It's modeled by love. It's motivated by love. Modeled by God and motivated by love. And finally, it's manifest in action. You know, many of us have good intentions. I know that there are people here, for example, who've, been, who've heard this message before, and they've, they, intend, they want to tithe, they want to do that. They just haven't managed it yet, they haven't got round to it yet, they, they need a little poke in the ribs. Well, I'm giving you a poke in the ribs. I know there are folk who've wanted to give to that, to, the, to, to phase two back there, or maybe you've been holding back to see whether it really happened. Well, it really will happen. And I need to say to you, you know, God's love, God's love is manifested in its action. It actually does happen. It wasn't a God saying, oh, I could give up my son. I'd be prepared to do that. He actually did. He actually did. I could go on with this, but I don't want to belabor this. But I need to teach this because this is part of the gospel. If you don't master money, it will master you. It is an idol, and Jesus spoke out against it time and time and time again. I spoke about the poor robbing God, Malachi 3. Many of you know this passage. It says this, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. We've designated this year, under, we believe, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, a year of open heaven. That sounds like an open heaven to me, where God throws open the door of heaven and his blessings pour down upon us. More, Lord, more, Lord, more, Lord. Thank you. Would you please stand and let's have the band up. There was one clap there. Any more claps? Thank you. Thank you.
Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> I am a bit hyper today, as you've noticed. It's all that barn dancing and waltzing around the place with over-large ladies. Let me pray. Lord God, there is joy in your presence. And the demands of following Jesus are, are challenging. Sometimes we're tempted to think they feel a little too heavy. But that's not the truth. The truth is your burden is light because we were made to do this. And it's only as we embrace you, Lord God, and embrace your kingdom and embrace your plans for us that we know joy, the joy of giving, the joy of sharing, the joy of being together in your presence, the joy of being different, the joy of celebrating your great goodness and your kindness, the joy of our salvation. It becomes our strength, our hiding place. And sometimes the world looks at us somewhat quizzically, but the truth of the matter is, our God reigns, our God re reigns, and we would serve you. So bless us, Lord God, and we're no brood of vipers. We're your sons and daughters, but we want to bear fruit in accordance and in keeping with our righteousness, the righteousness that you've given us. And so bless us, Lord God, as we determine to press on and press in. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>